Oscar Wilde was released from prison on the 19th of May, 1897. He died only three years later in exile in France. In 1898, he wrote in his last letter to the editor of the Daily Chronicle. 23rd of March, 1898, Paris. To the editor of the Daily Chronicle. Dear Sir, I understand that the Home Secretary's Prison Reform Bill is to be read for this week for the first or second time. And as your journal has been the one paper in England that has taken a real and vital interest in this important question, I hope that you will allow me, as one who has had a long personal experience of life in an English goal, to point out what reforms in our present stupid and barbarous system are urgently necessary. From a leading article that appeared in your columns about a week ago, I learned that the chief reform proposed is an increase in the number of inspectors and official visitors that are to access our English prisons. Such a reform as this is entirely useless. The reason is extremely simple. The inspectors and justices of the peace that visit prisons come there for the purpose of seeing that the prison regulations are duly carried out. They come for no other purpose nor have they any power, even if they had the desire to alter a single clause in the regulations. No prisoner has ever had the smallest relief or attention or care from any of the official visitors. The visitors arrive not to help the prisoners, but to see that the rules are carried out. Their object in coming in is to ensure the enforcement of a foolish and inhuman code. And, as they must have some occupation, they take very good care to do it. A prisoner who has been allowed the smallest of privileges dreads the arrival of the inspectors. And on the day of any prison inspection, the prison officials are more than usually brutal to the prisoners. Their object is, of course, to show the splendid discipline that they maintain. The necessary reforms are very simple. They concern the needs of the body and the needs of the mind of each of the unfortunate prisoners. With regard to the first, there are three permanent punishments authorised by law in English prisons. 1. Hunger. 2. Insomnia. 3. Disease. The food supplied to prisoners is entirely inadequate. Most of it is revolting in character. All of it is insufficient. Every prisoner suffers day and night from hunger. A certain amount of food is carefully weighed out ounce by ounce for each prisoner. It is just enough to sustain, not life exactly, but existence. But one is always racked by the pain and sickness of hunger. The result of the food, which in most cases consists of weak gruel, badly baked bread, suet and water, is disease in the form of incessant diarrhoea. This malady, which ultimately with most prisoners becomes a permanent disease, is a recognised institution in every prison. At Wandsworth Prison, for instance, where I was confined for two months till I had to be carried into hospital, where I remained for another two months, the warders go around twice or three times a day with astringent medicines, which they serve out to prisoners as a matter of course. After about a week of such treatment, it is unnecessary to say the medicine produces no effect at all. The wretched prisoner is then left a 
prey to the most weakening, depressing and humiliating malady that can be conceived. And if, as often happens, he fails from physical weakness to complete his required revolutions at the crank or the mill, he is reported for idleness and punished with the greatest severity and brutality. Nor is this all. Nothing can be worse than the sanitary arrangements of English prisons. In old days, each cell was provided with a form of latrine. These latrines have now been suppressed. They exist no longer. A small tin vessel is supplied to each prisoner instead. Three times a day, a prisoner is allowed to empty his slops. But he is not allowed to have access to the prison lavatories, except during the one hour when he is at exercise. And after five o'clock in the evening, he is not allowed to leave his cell under any pretense, or for any reason. A man suffering from diarrhoea is consequently placed in a position so loathsome that it is unnecessary to dwell on it, that it would be unseemly to dwell on it. The misery and tortures that prisoners go through in consequence of the revolting sanitary arrangements is quite indescribable, and the foul air of the prison cells increased by a system of ventilation that is utterly ineffective is so sickening and unwholesome that it is no uncommon thing for the warders when they come in the morning out of the fresh air and open and inspect each cell to be violently sick. I have seen this myself on more than three occasions and several of the warders have mentioned it to me as one of the disgusting things that their office entails on them. The food supply to prisoners should be adequate and wholesome. It should not be of such a character as to produce the incessant diarrhoea that, at first a malady, becomes a permanent disease. The sanitary arrangements in English prisons should be entirely altered. Every prisoner should be allowed to have access to the lavatories when necessary, and to empty his slops when necessary. The present system of ventilation in each cell is utterly useless. The air comes through choked-up gratings and through a small ventilator in the tiny barred window, which is far too small and too badly constructed to admit any adequate amount of fresh air. One is only allowed out of one cell for an hour, out of the 24 that compose the long day, and so for 23 hours one is breathing the foulest possible air. With regard to the punishment of insomnia, it only exists in Chinese and English prisons. In China, it is inflicted by placing the prisoner in a small bamboo cage. In England, by means of the plank bed. The object of the plank bed is to produce insomnia. There is no other object in it. And it invariably succeeds. And even when one is subsequently allowed a hard mattress, as happens in the course of imprisonment, one still suffers from insomnia. For sleep, like all wholesome things, is a habit. Every prisoner who has been on a plank bed suffers from insomnia. It is a revolting and ignorant punishment. With regards to the needs of the mind, I beg that you will allow me to say something. The present system seems almost to have for its aim the wrecking and the destruction of the mental faculties. The production of insanity is, if not its object, certainly its result. That is a well-ascertained fact. Its causes are obvious. Deprived of books, of all human intercourse, isolated from every humane and humanizing influence, condemned to eternal silence, 
robbed of all intercourse with the external world, treated like an unintelligent animal, brutalized below the level of any brute creation, the wretched man who is confined in an English prison can hardly escape becoming insane. I do not wish to dwell on these horrors, still less to excite any momentary sentimental interest in these matters. So I will merely, with your permission, point out what should be done. Every prisoner should have an adequate supply of good books. At present, during the first three months of imprisonment, one is allowed no books at all, except a Bible, a prayer book and a hymn book. After that, one is allowed one book a week. That is not merely inadequate, but the books that compose the ordinary prison library are perfectly useless. They consist chiefly of third-rate, badly written religious books, so-called written apparently for children, and utterly unsuitable for children or for anyone else. Prisoners should be encouraged to read, and should have whatever books they want, and the books should be well chosen. At present, the selection of books is made by prison chaplains. Under the present system, a prisoner is only allowed to see his friends four times a year, for 20 minutes each time. This is quite wrong. A prisoner should be allowed to see his friends once a month, and for a reasonable time. The mode at present in vogue of exhibiting a prisoner to his friends should be altered. Under the present system, the prisoner is either locked up in a large iron cage, or in a large wooden box, with a small aperture, covered with wired netting, through which he is allowed to peer. His friends are placed in a similar cage, some three or four feet distant, and two warders stand between to listen to, and if they wish, stop or interrupt the conversation as may be. I propose that a prisoner should be allowed to see his relatives or friends in a room. The present regulations are inexpressibly revolting and harassing. A visit from our relatives or friends is to every prisoner an intensification of humiliation and mental distress. Many prisoners, rather than support such an ordeal, refuse to see their friends at all. And I cannot say I'm surprised. When one sees one solicitor, one sees him in a room with a glass door, on the other side of which stands a warder. When a man sees his wife and children, or his parents, or his friends, he should be allowed the same privilege. To be exhibited like an ape in a cage, to people who are fond of one, and of whom one is fond, is a needless and horrible degradation. Every prisoner should be allowed to write and receive a letter at least once a month. At present, one is allowed to write only four times a year. This is quite inadequate. One of the tragedies of prison life is that it turns a man's heart to stone. The feelings of natural affection, like all other feelings, require to be fed. They die easily of inanition. A brief letter four times a year is not enough to keep alive the gentler and more humane affections by which ultimately the nature is kept sensitive to any fine or beautiful influences that may heal a wrecked and broken life. The habit of mutilating and expurgating prisoners' letters should be stopped. At present, if a prisoner in a letter makes any complaint of the prison system, that portion of his letter is cut out with a pair of scissors. If, upon the other hand, he makes any complaint when he speaks to his friends through the bars of a cage or the aperture of the wooden box, 
He is brutalized by the warders and reported for punishment every week until his next visit comes around, by which time he is expected to have learned not wisdom, but cunning. And one always learns that. It is one of the few things that was one does learn in prison. Fortunately, the other things are, in some instances, of higher import. If I may trespass on your space for a little longer, may I say this? You suggested in your leading article that no prison chaplain should be allowed to have any care or employment outside the prison itself. But this is a matter of no moment. The prison chaplains are entirely useless. They are, as a class, well-meaning but foolish and indeed silly men. They are of no help to any prisoner. Once every six weeks or so, a key turns in the lock of one cell door and the chaplain enters. One stands, of course, at attention. He asks one whether one has been reading the Bible or not. One answers yes or no, as the case may be. He then quotes a few texts and goes out and locks the door. Sometimes he leaves a tract. No, the officials who should not be allowed to hold any employment outside the prison or to have any private practice are the prison doctors. At present, the prison doctors have usually, if not always, a large private practice and hold appointments in other institutions. The consequence is that the health of the prisoner is entirely neglected and the sanitary condition of the prison entirely overlooked. As a class, I regard and have always from my earliest youth regarded doctors as by far the most humane profession in the community. But I must make an exception for prison doctors. They are, as far as I came across them, and from what I saw of them in hospital and elsewhere, brutal in manner, coarse in temperament, and utterly indifferent to the health of the prisoners or their comfort. If prison doctors were prohibited from private practice, they would be compelled to take some interest in the health and sanitary conditions of the people under their charge. I have tried to indicate in my letter a few of the reforms necessary to our English prison system. They are simple, practical and humane. They are of course only a beginning. But it is time that a beginning should be made, and it can only be started by a strong pressure of public opinion formalised in your powerful paper and fostered by it. But to make even these reforms effectual, much has to be done. And the first and perhaps the most difficult task is to humanise the governors of prison, to civilise the warders and to Christianise the chaplains. Yours, etc. The author of The Ballad of Reading Gold.